Well, uh, hey, uh, welcome back, everybody, to Fans in Exile, the podcast about baseball fandom. And um, today we're, we're uh, just getting uh, into things now as, as we are looking at uh, pitchers and catchers reporting um, less than a week ago and uh, the, the spring training season starting. And, and uh, today we have an incredible guest uh, on, our, on our show. Um, I, uh, uh, a few years ago, got this amazing book called Big Hair and Plastic Grass uh, about this era of baseball uh, in the 70s when I was growing up and just starting to get into baseball. And my awareness of it as a, as a conscious human being uh, was during that era. And, and um, uh, on the show today, we have Dan Epstein, who was the writer of that book and then last year released uh, a, a follow-up book, Stars and Strikes, um, which focuses on the summer of 1976. He's a journalist who's uh, written for Rolling Stone. Just this week, uh, a great article about the Cubs. Uh, he is, is on uh, uh, rollingstone.com and uh, all kinds of other uh, sports and cultural uh, uh, outlets. And he's here right now. I can't believe it. So we have Dan Epstein. Thank you for, for being on the show. Oh, Tom, thanks for having me, man. I'm very excited. I can't, I, this is one of the best things uh, that, that's happened to us here. And you, you have this uh, amazing way of, of writing and presenting um, uh, these, these, this era from the past, which obviously really obviously struck a, a, a chord with you, but you also, it's not pure nostalgia. You relate it to things today um, like this week, your article on the Cubs, you go back to when when you became became a Cubs fan, and then you're looking towards the season and doing a comparison between you know Cubs fans and White Sox fans, and it was it was a fantastic piece. So Thanks, I, I hope people check that out. Um, I wanted to actually, uh, I know you're we're, we're talking via Skype. You're in Los Angeles. I'm in uh, snowy New England. Um, or you're based in Los Angeles? Yeah, no, I'm in I'm in uh, Echo Park, which is about a mile from Dodger Stadium. Oh wow, that's that's amazing, walking um, man, it's awesome. I bet, I bet that's fantastic. Uh, I, I I I'm not a I'm I'm definitely not a Dodgers fan, but I've been to Chavez Ravine, and um, I I uh, grew up my my first uh, seven eight years of life was in Hollywood and Pasadena. Oh okay, yeah, and that's how I started getting into baseball. Was actually listening to uh, Vin Scully, um, oh. and <laughs> that would do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I I didn't care about the Dodgers. I just loved listening to baseball through his mind. You know, uh, yeah. he brought me into the game, and and I think the reason why I became a Giants fan. You know, sure, I moved up to the Bay Area uh, in 1976, um, uh, and the Giants were uh, a team. You know, obviously a big deal uh, up there. Uh, I'm also an A's fan. I'm a Bay Area baseball fan. But the fact was, it was Vin Scully's voice and his presentation of baseball that that brought me in. So I've always had this appreciation of him and um, uh, respect for for what he he does. And you're right there. I mean, you're so. No, I mean, if 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 you know, I mean, you can hate the Dodgers, but you have to respect Vince Scully for, you know, for who he is, what he does and, you know, and how he does it. I mean, he's, he's really, I think the last guy left who operates without a color guy. It's like, he's his own play by play and color man. And that, that is a lost art right there, people. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, um, it's a real pleasure, um, to put him on and, you know, for, uh, the last couple years, uh, when I've got an uh, MLB TV uh, subscription, um, I you know use the radio format and and uh, plug my cell phone into my car stereo system, and we drive around and we listen to games from across the country. Yeah, and my kids, they have also glommed on to Vin Scully. Um, you know, they, they like it they, based on the fact that you just said it's, they, they say, you know, Hey, he's not getting interrupted. There's people not interrupting each other. And, you know, 
It's just from this one guy. And then they'll ask me like, well, what does that phrase mean? Because he has, you know, he's a real, he's very painterly. Um, uh, uh, and, and, you know, he has this, these great turns of phrases that I don't, I don't know if they're really dated. I mean, he's saying they're classic. Yeah, they're classic. <laughs> they're classic. And so they, they ask for explanations of these things and it's, and, you know, it's been fun, you know, as a parent, like, wow, I'm kind of reintroducing the game via this, this iconic, um, uh, performer. And that's fantastic that you get to do that with your kids. I mean, that that's that's really beautiful. Um, I, I, you know, and I, and I love Vin. I, th- I think um, one thing I always think of when you know we get into discussions of you know the way he he uh, he does his thing. Uh, one of his ticks, or I mean, I guess it's not a tick because he intentionally does it, but he will repeat the same stories over you know a specific homestand because he always feels that, you know, just in case you didn't tune in last night and you missed the story, he wants to make sure you get the story, Uh, which is, you know, I I think that's, that's uh, generally a good thing, but there was, God, this must've been about 10 years ago when Adrian Beltre had like a botched appendectomy uh, right before spring training. Oh yes. And, uh, and Vin, and when, when, when Beltre came back, Vin would talk about it in every game the first time Beltre came up. And, uh, and that which would usually be around the 7.30, 7.45 mark if they were playing at home. And I would usually be eating my dinner in front of the TV watching the game because, of course, you know, watching a game and, you know, listening to, to Vin talk is, you know, over dinner is great. But he would always bring up the botched appendectomy and the colostomy bag that Adrian Beltre had to wear as a result <laughs> digging into uh, in my, my pasta. So it was, it was just, oh, Finn, would you just cool it with a botched appendectomy? <laughs> did that month. That's great. Oh, my God. Yeah, I have noticed, you know, if it's a homestand or whatever, you know, uh, he'll he'll say, you know, in the first game of this, there was, you know, he certainly was having trouble, you know, for whatever reason, he kept pulling it right, you know, and, and, right. and, uh, he will give you the, the rundown of what has happened with the hitter, um, uh, you know, uh, or, you know, a catcher not be, you know, and, you know, not being able to make a throw down to second, you know, like, and he's finally able to get the throw down and then out, right. you know, and he, you know, he, he conveys that, yeah, in this, in this group of games, there has been this drama, and he he succinctly has almost a story for every single player who comes up, and it's just brilliant. And uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, he's he's clearly he's a big believer in the importance of context. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I think that's that's something you know. I well, you know, I wouldn't compare myself to Vince Scully in any way, shape, or form. I think that's maybe that's something that I learned or got into from listening to him as a kid. I, I spent a lot of summers in the '70s in Los Angeles, so I used to listen to him back then. And you know, I so like my love of baseball is so wrapped up with a love of baseball history and a love of context, and then the love of of how that fits in into a cultural context. And uh, so I think maybe not, I mean, I never put this, that together until this conversation, but I think maybe listening to him all those summers uh, rubbed off on me as a writer down the road. That's great. Yeah. Because he's, he's, um, uh, you know, my, what my kids uh, immediately when we went and saw um, 42 mm-hmm. uh, was Red Barber. They're like, that's like, that guy's like Vin Scully. You know? <laughs> okay. I, okay. Here's another story I got to tell you. Um, my father grew up a hardcore Brooklyn Dodgers fan living right outside of, uh, you know, like around the corner from Ebbets Field, basically. And wow. so he, he grew up listening to Red Barber and, you know, it was all about Red Barber. Who is it the, is it the Royals? Isn't there another solo guy somewhere in the Midwest? There's another solo guy, um, who's not at the same caliber, but it's he. He is someone who's who's by himself. I don't know if it's for the Royals or for 
the Indians. Somebody who who's often on just by himself for a, a large uh, on chunk the radio? of radio. Yeah, on the radio. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, I, it, it's uh, it's it's escaping me. But okay, so this is interesting. You, you know, you talked about seeing a lot of baseball in Los Angeles as you were growing up. You know, right. coming out in the seventies. But what do you consider yourself? Are you where did you where are you from and <laughs> and how did you you know you can explain that and you know your essay this week talked about cubs the cubs a bit and and you know the appeal they had for you right you know what do you have a specific team that you know is is close to you is it the pirates is it no no, no. well well look it's it's a long story so i'm gonna try i'll try to make it as succinct and uh, amusing as possible um the, the the crux of it is uh i am a tigers fan since the mid-70s and i'm a cubs fan since 1980 so those are basically i've always believed that you know you can have a favorite team in each league. I know interleague play kind of uh, messes with that a bit, but you know, I've I've, I've always, uh, pretty much since I was a kid, always had a favorite in the American League and a favorite in the National League. But I, uh, my parents were both academics, and they split up very early um, uh, in my life, and they moved around a lot, and then I spent summers visiting grandparents in uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and San Diego, California. And I spent summers, uh, a lot of summers and Christmases with my mom in Los Angeles, and then spent my uh, 70s life in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan with my dad. So um, basically, when I first started getting into baseball was the mid seventies and, you know, kind of became aware of it, you know, really aware of it in 75, but 76 was the year that I really fell in love with it. And that I saw my first major league game and that was at tiger stadium, May 30th, 1976 against the Yankees. And, um, and then a few weeks later, you know, Mark Fidrich, you know, really started, getting hot and you know he was an incredibly compelling figure and so of course I kind of latched onto him as did many of uh, my other friends uh, even though it, it, you know the Tigers were so bad in 1975 that it was kind of considered uncool at my school to root for the Tigers so <laughs> so everybody had favorite players elsewhere and so I decided that my favorite player going into 1976 was going to be Ron the Penguin Say <laughs> for the Los Angeles Dodgers because I loved his nickname I loved that he was you know re- weirdly built and then also one of my father's best friends uh, was Walter Alston's nephew Walter Alston who was the manager of the Dodgers at the time so my father's friend would always talk about the penguin, who he knew. And so I thought, like, wow, that's so cool. Like, you know, my dad knows a guy who, you know, is related to a major league manager and knows their players. So, and, and then on top of that, my mom was living in L.A. So that summer, 76, uh, I got her to take me to um, my first National League game, which was Dodgers-Reds at uh, Dodger Stadium in, in August. And... Um, so I kind of adopted the Dodgers as my National League team back then, um, partly because of Ron Say, partly because that's where my mom lived. And, uh, you know, and I absolutely loved Dodger Stadium and uh, absolutely loved Tiger Stadium. So it was just like, okay, these are, you know, these are my teams. Um, and then I moved out to L.A. for a year in 1979, and that unfortunately coincided with a pretty lousy year for, uh, for the Dodgers. Yeah. Uh, but um, then at the end of 79, my mom married a guy who was living in Chicago. So we moved to Chicago and I was very excited uh, because I was fascinated with Bill Vec. I'd read, um, you know, starting in 1977, really, when, uh, you know, he had, the, he had the Southside Hitman, yeah. White Sox, uh, you know, with Oscar Gamble and Richie Zisk. Um, I, I, you know, started reading a lot about him and really, you know, just thought he was such an interesting character. And so, and, and then in 19, summer of 79 was Disco Demolition, which yeah. even though I was a disco fan, I really was into that because, you know, blowing shit up on a ball field, like, you know, how cool was that? Right, right. 
you know, I was 13. It was just like, you know, I, I was into disco, but I was also into anarchy. So, uh, it, so, so I just like in my mind, I was going to move to Chicago and I was going to become a White Sox fan. But what happened was uh, we wound up living on the north side and the Cubs played ball just about a mile away from where I went to school. So, you know, and back in those days, you could actually, you know, get into the last couple of innings of a Cubs game for free. You just walked in. It's like, you know, at that point, there, you know, the concessions were closing down. And it was just kind of like, yeah, sure, kid, come on in. Um, you know, and it was all day games back then. And uh, so, yeah, so I really, you know, and Wrigley was such, you know, an enchanting place in its own right. And, and really still is despite all, you know, all the ways they've messed with it. Yeah. Uh, so, so really at that point, I kind of renounced the Dodgers and became a Cubs fan and, uh, you know, and really, uh, you know, one of my big regrets as a baseball fan is that in 1984, when the Tigers won it all, I didn't appreciate it as much as I could have or should have because, I was really, really, really had my heart set on a Cubs-Tigers World Series. Wow. And then when the Cubs blew it in the playoffs, which, of course, was my first experience with, you know, Cubs-related uh, uh, Cubs sorrow, um, it just, you know, seeing the Tigers win was great, but it was, like, against the Padres. And, like, all, the, all five of those games, I was like, man, the Cubs should have been here. And uh, so, I, you know, and then, of course, the Tigers haven't uh, uh, won it all since then. So I feel like I kind of, uh, you know, blew, didn't, you know, that was really the one time in my life that a team that I was rooting for won a World Series. Mm -hmm. So uh, I feel like I, I missed the opportunity to enjoy it to its uh, fullest extent. Yeah, my, my kids are <clears throat> ridiculously spoiled. You know, because of where we like, I you know, I brought my Bay Area baseball fandom here uh, to New England with me. My son was born the year the Red Sox broke the curse, mm -hmm. um, and then he consciously, you know, he's ten now, so he vaguely remembers the first Giants win, but he, then he's seen two others. And I'm like, you don't understand like my whole life. They, <laughs> it doesn't work like this. Yeah. They, they made it, you know, to the, to the world series a couple times uh, during that time frame, And it was just, you know, they couldn't close the deal. And, and you, you've been alive for three wins in five years. You know, he just has no idea. And then the Red Sox with three wins, you know, during his lifetime and nothing for uh, the, the better part of a century, practically, uh, he just has no concept of it. It's just a spoil of riches, and he, it's a, almost an expectation of, uh, of, of uh, a team he follows making it to the playoffs year in, year out. And um, uh, so it's funny when you get that kind of perspective on things. Um, so that's a really interesting story because, you know, there, I don't, there are some people I know, I'm sure you do, that they are a one team fan. They have been their whole life. Nothing has swayed them. Nothing ever other, nothing ever appealed to them, uh, beyond that. And I just, I don't work that way. <laughs> it's just strange to me. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of it too is like my upbringing, you know, I moved around a lot and then I got, you know, when I was spending the summers in Alabama with my grandparents, I used to see the Braves games, you know, because, you know, you could get WTCG before it became, um, you know, uh, TBS, uh, um, or, or, or TNT or whatever, whatever the hell it became. Right. right. Uh, the, the original Turner, yeah. Uh, broadcasting system. Yeah. TBS. TBS. Uh, um, was, you know, was WTCG and, uh, and you could watch games every night, uh, in Alabama, Braves games every night, which was, you know, it was a revelation to me at the time, because if I was lucky, I could see, you know, one or two games, Tigers games a week in Ann Arbor. And, uh, you know, you could see a fair amount of them in LA, but like, you know, there were there were always the games that just weren't televised, and and, and uh, in Atlanta, all the games were televised, and they had a really wide reach. So it's like I got, 
even though I've never been a Braves fan per se, like I have a lot of affection for those late seventies Braves teams. Cause I used to watch them all the time. You know, I, you know, I used to watch Roland office every night. So, wow. uh, you know, like guys like that. And, and, uh, so it's, you know, I, I feel like I, I was lucky to have a lot of, you know, a lot of different, uh, baseball, you know, input. And then of course, like I was interested in the Yankees in those days because, you know, they were the Yankees and they were having their resurgence beginning in 76. And, um, you know, and, and my dad, my dad was a Mets fan. He, he, after the Dodgers left Brooklyn, uh, he shifted his allegiance to the Mets when they came along a few years later. So, you know, and Seaver was pitching for the Mets, uh, you know, in the mid seventies. So, you know, I was very interested in that. So, you know, it's, it's, I would say that there are very few teams I hate and, uh, and, uh, you know, and I just, I just really love baseball and, you know, every team has its interesting stories and its interesting histories. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I really, you know, both with big hair and plastic grass and stars and strikes really tried to kind of, uh, dig into them and, and, uh, you know, cause it's the stories that are so interesting to me more than the statistics. Yeah. Yeah. That same, same here. I mean, I, I, you know, do, uh, I, I don't have a, a member, a membership, you know, for, for the, um, baseball reference guide. Uh, I do get their newsletter and I listen to their podcast, the effectively wild podcast, Mm -hmm. um, which occasionally just starts going into this, you know, uh, Pakoda nerddom stuff that it's just like this. I have no interest in this. I do like, to look at it to see if I can see a trend in a player or notice an improvement right. or whatever, but I don't. It's just not appealing to me to, you know, these statistics-driven, you know, spreadsheets-driven uh, approach to the game. Um, it's just always been alien to me. So yeah, you know, I mean, I, I like that stuff, and I think look in any attempts to understand the game further are. You know, it's 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 a good thing, but but it's just like, you know, to to me, you know, R- Raleigh Fingers' mustache is ultimately far more important than his babip. Right. You know, it's like you know, Oscar Gamble was not maybe not one of the greatest players of all time, but he had the greatest afro of all time. Mark Fidrich only pitched for a season and, you know, re- I mean, he pitched for more than one season, but he only pitched for one full season. And it's impossible to extrapolate, you know, what he could have done from that, uh, you know, that very small sample size. But to me, he's one of the greats because he, you know, he was like this folk hero who came out of nowhere and just electrified the country, transcended the sport, became, you know, you know, essentially, you know, it was like Frampton comes alive on the pitcher's mound. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and so so that stuff, like, like you know, I, I certainly can look at numbers all day and often do. But it's like, ultimately, that's the stuff that really, you know, makes me glad to be a baseball fan and makes me glad I was there to witness this and makes me, you know, uh, and, and makes me want to write about it. It's It's like, you know, like you said, like looking at trends, like, you know, statistical trends. Okay. There are certainly, you know, articles in that, but ultimately, you know, I want to know about the human beings and I want to know about the, you know, the stuff that isn't is easily quantified by statistics. Yeah. It's, um, I, I like, like, you, like you said, certainly I, I'm doing my best to understand these numbers more and more. Um, but that's not how my brain deals with, what is going on with a team for the year, you know, and, uh, um, you know, for example, like the A's this last year, um, a year ago, this time I was with my family in Phoenix for spring training. Awesome. And it was unbelievable. Um, the second game of spring training, I, some, I don't, I mean, just by me walking around and being friendly to people, uh, got my son to be the bat boy for the A's. Oh man. With their first, uh, you know, it was their opening home game and it was against the giants. 
So that's our other team. <laughs> so he's on the field with the A's and the Giants, you know. That's beautiful. And he's he uh, he's got a you know a Cespedes signed a ball for him, and he got to hang out. Uh, you know, Reddick was there, Donaldson. Uh, you know, all these guys, and, and the pitcher was Parker, who blew his arm out like a week later. He his right. arm blew up in spring training, um, but he was the pitcher that day, and. Uh, Derek Norris and all this kind of stuff, and all these guys he hung out with for this entire day because um, he had to be there early and was out there while they were doing all their warm ups and everything, and was there till pretty much everybody left the stadium, uh, down on the field and in the clubhouse with them. And the Billy Bean shenanigans that began mid season and ended by the end of the season and postseason with a significant chunk of all these guys that had this real camaraderie on the field um, that really just got slowly eaten away chunk by chunk from, from the all-star break on, you know, left with a shell of stuff. And that's what ended up happening to them. Yeah. yeah they made that one wild card game, but that was, that was it. And uh, he, he was, he was totally disgusted, you know, by the end of it, even though the numbers made sense of right. why that was done, it broke the chemistry that that team had put together. And that was so obvious for the, you know, first half of the season when they, it seemed like they couldn't be stopped. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. I mean, like, like I can understand that you can make the statistical case that chemistry does not exist, but I also you think you can make the case that chemistry, you know, is in some cases more important than individual statistics. And, um, no, it, it's it's it's. Uh, I mean, and and again, that's that's one of the things I love about baseball. There are so many different elements that you can dissect and you can you know uh, kick around, and you never get to the ultimate you know center of the lollipop. You know, it's it's just like it's always just defies complete categorization or analysis and and uh, that's one of the things that makes it so beautiful yeah yeah i i completely agree and that's kind of uh you know we, we definitely talk uh, on the, on this podcast and then just obviously offline with friends and everything it's more about feelings about than about numbers yeah it's life man <laughs> you know, it's so, always life so uh you know, it's it's been um, it's it's been a, a, a definitely a learning experience, and for people who might be listening that have also shied away from looking at anything other than a batting average, which is probably one of the least informative numbers. <laughs> when when you when you realize the other wealth of information that's available, just go out and try a few things. There's some really easy, you know, primers on baseball stats and easy to reference online uh, uh, glossaries about the things you're looking at. And, and just with a little investment of time, you can understand a lot more without getting overwhelmed. Yeah. It's nothing to be afraid of, you know, I mean, like I, I see so many of these, you know, older columnists, you know, kind of knee jerk, like, you know, who, who like, you know, still like doing the, the, like, you know, if you're into, uh, you know, just put, putting down this, the false construction that, you know, if you're into advanced statistical analysis, you are a nerd who uh, lives in your mom's basement and has never actually seen a baseball game. And that's, you know, and that's just so silly. It's it's just like that there's there's nothing to be afraid of here, guys. Just, uh, you know, it's it's only numbers. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, but at the same time, it's like I get annoyed with people who, you know, who will say things like, well, you know, Ichiro is overrated because, you know, he 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 never walks. And, you know, I mean, Ichiro Suzuki is definitely past his prime at this point, although I hope he keeps on for another couple of years and, and gets to the 3000 hits mark. Yes. But, you know, I, I saw him I saw him play. I actually uh, one of the few times I, I had the pleasure of seeing him play in person was in 2009. I went to a, a Mariners game. I was up in Seattle visiting some some friends, and I had never seen him play before. And it was like the only thing I can compare it to is like 
like the one time I saw Michael Jordan in person, you know, where it's just the sense that like this guy is playing a completely different game than everybody else on the field and it's better. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, I think he would four for five, uh, that game. Uh, one of those was, you know, one of those hits was, a you know, a bunt single, um, another was a double, he drove in a couple of runs, stole a base, made a couple of amazing catches in, in right field, but, you know, but he didn't take a walk that entire game. So, you know, like, like what I'm supposed to leave disappointed because, uh, you know, the guy wants to swing away instead of, uh, you know, uh, to take the easy ride to first. So that kind of stuff annoys me, but it's, it's, you know, I, I, I think, Look, just just like I think that you know, there's there's room for a big Hall of Fame. There's there's room for a big uh, uh, spectrum of baseball fandom. I just you know, I just wish you know the people uh, who are frightened of sabermetrics would chill out. And I wish the you know the 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 school where it's like you know, okay, prove prove you're not a dinosaur, and you know. You know, talk about FIP and BABIP in every article, or you know, you're, uh, you know, uh, you're you're stuck in the 20th century. I think that that whole thing is a bit silly as well. Um, but I think people are starting to calm down a bit on both sides. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and and certainly, you know, you'll you'll hear a bit more of that language. Um, again, if <clears throat> I think because I, you know, I think we still consume at least half of our games by audio, by the, you know, right. by, by radio. And, um, uh, so they will talk about it because they have to fill space right. sometimes, you know, in, in there. And that's where I see broadcast stuff lacking. Cause it's like, why aren't you talking about that? You know, right. like they'll, they'll actually, you know, in some cases like flat out make fun of it, you know, right. Uh, Joe Morgan, you know, I'm glad he's no longer uh, broadcasting, but that he was always just like, you know, making fun of uh, ops and, and and things like that. Like this is like some kind of voodoo, you know, silly voodoo stuff that, uh, you know, has been imposed upon his uh, his glorious game. Yeah, but I'll tell you the thing that does piss me off, though, um, when you get writers uh, writing books about um players or seasons or events that happened in the pre-advanced statistic area uh, who then try to wedge in advanced statistics uh, like into the narrative. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing like to, you know, maybe uh, have a footnote in the back of the book or something where you like, you know, break down, uh, you know, comparative war or whatever. Yeah. But when you like in the course of, of, uh, talking about a player's, you know, a player's season in 1935 and, and you slip in the fact that he had the best war in the league. It's like, that wasn't even part of the conversation in 1935. That, you know, that, that meant nothing. Uh, and certainly, you know, where, where we can, uh, you know, use it to, you know, compare players over the decades. Now it's like, like, you know, all people cared about were, were, um, you know, the triple crown stats really. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so so when you know I write these books about the the about baseball in the seventies, like I really try not to get into that because it's like it's not you know you can look that stuff up on Baseball Reference. It's it's not that you know, but it but managers were not making out their lineups, uh, you know, based on on base percentages. You can see it because so many leadoff guys back then had like you know, 320 on base percentages, you know, that, you know, guys like Omar Marino or whatever, who, you know, would, uh, you know, come up, uh, 700 times a year and maybe walk 28 times. Um, you know, it, it was, it was a much different approach to the game. And I just, I just think like, like it, it, it smacks of, you know, of just kind of knee jerk. Oh, I gotta, I gotta, you know, put the saber stuff in this book or people won't think I'm cool or won't think, you know, or, or will think I'm retrograde or whatever, you know, it's, but, but I, I just like, like, I don't need to read 
a biography of Babe Ruth that talks about his his war and his uh, you know uh, fielding independent batting or or whatever. You know, it's 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 uh, you know if you want to do a, a advanced statistical breakdown, um, you know, do that. But but it really has no place in the historic narrative. Yeah, there seems to be this push to try to do that. And like when I'm I listen to the Effectively Wild podcast. Which I, you know, enjoy those guys, Sam and Ben. I, I don't know if you're familiar with with yeah, their, their, yeah. You know, I love it. But then they'll go back and they'll do these. They do these. They have a segment that is tied to the reference. They'll like, hey, I'm I'm going to look up this stat, and they'll say, and you, you know, they'll go into it, and then they'll go, and then I went back and I saw in 1923 that it's just like, oh my god, would you stop? Well, no, but but see, I think that's cool. I just think like if you're if you're you know writing about the 1934 season, like you know, and and you want to talk about like what a great year this guy had, like and 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 how and how like he finally you know firmly established himself as a star that year, like you know you know his big war had nothing to do with him establishing himself as a star that's yeah. something like we went back and figured out later yeah and yeah. and so going back and figuring that out later it's great but just don't don't like it like nothing takes me out of the moment and like when i read baseball books when i read any kind of history like like i what i love about it uh you know the best books like that really immerse you in that Era and you really like you get deep enough into it where you start craving the food that these guys were eating, you know, seventy years ago, sure. and and then when you like, oh, and his war, you know, it's just like, oh, come on, man, yeah. like, yeah. just like, like, I'm sorry, you know, what a boner killer that is, and and I also see him pushing it into the future in in a uh, inappropriate way. All you have to do is watch the Little League World Series and they do that stupid, you know, oh, you know, this because the distance from the mound to the plate is this, that 74 mile per hour pitch is actually like a 96 mile per hour pitch. If oh, I didn't, I, I don't watch the Little League World Series, so I, I didn't know that that was. Oh, what, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous, you know, and then that's a stretch. Definitely, the, a stretch. and the other thing they've been doing this last year, when you've been watching the MLB, is they they talk about the sprint speed that an outfielder does to get from his set spot to where he caught the ball. You know that he ran thirty four miles an hour over that distance because they can put you know that dot on the screen and right. it, like that's another. It's like would. You, like, well, no. Again, I don't mind. I don't mind that. I mean, like, like you know, put it put it this way: when we were kids in the seventies, we were always talking about like which you know which were the fastest players, and you know, or, or you know, which fielders had the most range, and we didn't really actually have much to go on other than word of mouth or what we thought we saw. You know, so like it's it's interesting to me. It's instructive to me to see, like, okay, like this guy, you know, this outfielder. I think he's fast, but maybe he actually isn't. Or maybe this guy who I thought was just you know a waddling tub of you know goo uh, to to uh, to invoke uh, the great Terry Forrester. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I like like maybe this guy actually is much lighter on his feet than he looks and um so so i think like if you, if you can figure that out that's good but i also think like some of those things kind of lack um um appropriate context again context like i remember during during the playoffs in the world series there was you know like when a player would go from first to home on a play you know, like, like, oh, like, like he did that in, you know, only 21 seconds is like, okay, well, that's cool. But I have no frame. You're not giving me any frame of reference. Like how fast, you know, how, what's an average time for a player to go from first to home? Mm -hmm. What's, you know, what's a really, you know, like, it, like, is that 21 second mark? Is that really the, you know, is that upper echelon? Is that, you know, 
like, does this guy usually run faster? I don't know. You know, it was, it was sort of like just kind of throwing numbers at you without context. And, and I, I think in, the, in that sense, in that, in that instance, uh, that I find that, that annoying and, and not particularly helpful. Yeah, they, they, there's that. I mean, the, what really was, I don't know, on that sprint speed stuff, but between that and then that extrapolation of little league pitch speeds and that kind of thing, uh, that's, you go to Reddit or whatever, and they've shown how completely off those formulas are and how completely inaccurate. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, don't you, you have, if it's woefully inaccurate, why are you wasting our time with this? You know, why do you do this with the, the especially broadcast on, on TV? I mean, the eye opener for my son, um, and and when I've tried to help, when I've been helping coach his teams or whatever, is that if they're spending a lot of their time watching pro ball on TV, it is a it is so unlike the actual experience of a game that they forget all sorts of stuff because of just how the how the plays are framed, right? You know. That's why, you know, I think maybe we talked online or I sent you a message every now and then. We have Wakona Park here in town in Pittsfield. You know, it's uh, 100 years old. Uh, right. You know, right. one of the oldest parks around with a long, rich history, both in pro ball and, and beyond. Um, and we go and watch the games and they can actually see. Right, right now we have a Futures Collegiate League team there. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> or when, you know, we've gone to Fenway or City Field. Uh, or when we've been to spring training, is that you can see the players getting ready, you know, the, the fielders getting ready and and their movement and how they track a ball versus the focus is on the, the hitter, puck, you know, puck, he hits the ball, and then there's a close-up of an outfielder catching it, and you don't see the fact that the guy ran 40 yards, you know, right. And you don't see how the other players position, you know, like react to, you know, the ball may be hit to the guy in the outfield, but the infielders all have to move in specific ways to, I mean, I mean, really a big part of my baseball education was, uh, you know, when I was living in Ann Arbor, not going to Tigers games because we couldn't afford to do that very much, but going to the University of Michigan baseball games mm-hmm. because um, there was there was a you know small little uh, ballpark where where the team played that was not far at all from my house and if you were um, if you were under 12 12 and under you got in for free oh, wow. so my dad used to just like drop me and my friends off after school there to like you know catch most of the game and you know or some games where he would go with me on the weekends, um, you know, and he would point out like, okay, look at where the third baseman's positioning himself. Look at how the catcher runs to back up the play at first. Yes. And, and you were sitting there and it was so close and you really, you know, um, you got the, you know, you really got the full effect of that, like, like you're talking about. And, you know, I learned so much about, you know, about the way the game is played by being able to, you know, to see it that close up and, and, you know, and that regularly. And I think, you know, that, that is, you know, I, I think that's great that you and your kids have that opportunity to, you know, to, to see a lot of local stuff. But I think, you know, a lot of kids because of, you know, the price of tickets for major league games are really, you know, are, you know, in major league markets are kind of priced out of that experience. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so you hope that there's a minor league or a college or, you know, even even a high school ball team that they can go and see and check out, you know, just like how it's done on a, you know, slightly uh, higher level. Yeah, we, we growing up in the Bay Area, I don't think we had the um, uh, San Jose Giants that they didn't come around until I think I was already out of high school. And so I would go. I live near Stanford University. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, like, I think maybe I was 13 or whatever, I was selling, uh, you know, chocolate malteds at the big Cal and, uh, you know, Cal Bears versus Stanford Cardinals games, you know, the football games, but they also had a a baseball team there. And I would go, that was like kind of the closest I could get to checking that out on a regular basis. And it was, the area was really bereft of that kind of opportunity. 
Um, I feel like kind of spoiled here because we have this Futures League team in town and we have the New England Collegiate League just up the road in North Adams. And then the Wakona Park had the Pittsfield Mets for a long time and then the Pittsfield Astros for a year. Well, now those guys are over in Troy, which is where my son is on a travel team out of Troy, New York. And so oh, we have the, the Tri, uh, Tri-City Valley Cats, which is an Astros affiliate. And, you know, in 2004, that's where Hunter Pence was playing. Uh, and uh, there's an, also an Albany, uh, like an Albany um, uh, uh, Yankees team where Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter, all those guys played, you know, like half an hour, 40, minute from our, 40 minutes from our house. Wow. You know, and that's all in this area and has this long history of this, you know, happening. Um, uh, so like the Futures Collegiate League that, that we, we, how we hosted, we've hosted players from there in our house. Um, so, you know, in the playoffs this year, they did this great thing where they found all the players who had been part of Futures Collegiate League and every single team had multiple players who had come from the league that is right here in our town, you know? So it's like all this very relatable stuff of like following the path of these guys. Whereas I think, you know, in certain cities or I, I just felt that that was, that it was totally alien to me you know, growing up in the Bay Area, like, oh, what the path was to have that happen. Sure, you would hear of, oh, there's a team out by Sacramento that they would send somebody off to if they got injured, you know, but it was, it, it wasn't really, you know, how and when would you ever go see that? Because that's a four-hour drive, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was just bizarre. Like, why would you do that? Um, so I, I hear you on that, and, and uh, I, I do wish... You know, where is the wide angle shot in, right. in on TV? Like it's it's gone. That's why it's fun to go on YouTube and see broadcasts from the sixties and seventies because they didn't have twenty-five cameras with the close-up of everybody. You know, there was a, a wide angle shot and then you'd have some poor guy trying to track a camera following the runner go down to first base. <laughs> Yeah, you know it's funny. I, I really love. I mean, not just uh, not just for that. Obviously, obviously for a myriad of reasons. I love watching old uh, '70s footage and and earlier. But you know, it's just like there's something that's almost like I don't know. It's like comfort food about like just the the you know the presentation of the game that it's not you know it it's there, there aren't a million angles there aren't you know, a million cutaways there. They don't go down to the manager in the dugout uh, between innings and try to get some comments from him or stuff. It's, it's just very straightforward. Yeah. And, uh, and I love that. And, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very straightforward game and should be presented accordingly. But uh, yeah, obviously in this day and age, that's, uh, that's not deemed very, uh, um, uh, accessible, yeah, yeah, accessible, and the the constant blasting of me. We can go on. A, we we need to talk again because I've already I've already kept you on here like about uh, a, l- a little longer than we we normally go. But everything well, you say is so fascinating. So well, obviously we're uh, we're we're singing the same tune. Yeah, yeah. It's the how about some silence? You know, how about you know some that that thing you listen uh, to some organ music. Damn it, organ music or you know again Vin Scully. You you can hear the birds chirping sometimes. Yeah, you know there are these pauses for your brain to catch up to what's happening, you know, versus the experience. I mean, we we go see the Mets. That's kind of our National League option in in the area. You know, we'll drive down to a Mets game, um, and, and you know, to see the Giants come through or or the A's or whoever. Um, uh, and you know, we we kind of like the Mets too. Uh, you know, there's some players my son follows, but you're just blasted the entire time there is not five seconds when you're not being blasted at with some media yeah my my father who is still a Mets fan refuses to go to the games he's he's uh, specifically because of that he just you know thinks it's incredibly uh, awful and inappropriate so yeah. it's ter- it's terrible I, I actually wrote to them like uh last year because they you know uh I had bought a group of tickets and they sent me you know like a follow-up how was your experience with at the Mets games and this, and I wrote a couple paragraphs on this. It was just like, you, you're not letting 
people enjoy the game by blasting promotion after promotion at them. And, you know, we're, we're there to enjoy the game. And there's, you, you literally, I defy you to find 10 seconds when, when you're not blasting the crowd. 10 seconds in, in that three-hour experience. Yeah. You know? And, you know, of course, I've never heard from them. But, um, but uh, it's, yeah, we've, we're, on the, we're on the same page on that. Uh, well, I, I've really enjoyed this. You know, I, I, I normally would, uh, it's still before spring training games have officially started. And usually I would say, well, who are you going to follow? What are your feelings for the upcoming season? Um, but, but uh, you know, we, that, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> right. Well, you know, any time, man, just, uh, just let me know. Well, that'd be great because I haven't. Thanks, um, thanks for having me on. I, I don't have a, uh, a, a, uh, a Tigers fan in exile on in our in our <laughs> roster, so it'd be great. Oh, I'm very in exile. It's 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 funny. I mean, the two teams that I love the most are thousands of miles away from me. So uh, that's you know, I I I mean, this is how in exile I am. I literally have not seen a Tigers home game since 1978. Uh, oh so God. that's <laughs> so you know, I the last time I was at Tiger Stadium was 1978. I haven't even been to the new ballpark. Not that I'm particularly dying to go because i i'm still in mourning for tiger stadium but um you know i i've obviously i try to see the tigers when they they come to anaheim or last year they they had an interleague series with the dodgers dodger stadium so that was great i could actually walk to to the games wow um but but yeah i'm definitely i'm definitely a tigers fan in exile well that'd be that'd be great because that's what we you know mark is uh, in st louis and and i'm out here in the berkshires and we talk about the uh, we talk about the the, the Giants, and uh, then I have a, a friend who's a Cubs fan based in L.A., and uh, so he comes on and talks about that, and and so that that's that's kind of the formula of what we've been doing uh, with with the show. So I do appreciate this. This has been uh, so great, and um, I can't wait to uh, 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 get my copy of uh, uh, Stars and Strikes, and and at some point maybe. Uh, 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 figure out when when you're on the road again, and and uh, and have you sign both my both my books. So oh, absolutely, you can also send them to me. I'm, I do that all the time. Oh, People you do. Oh, and I'll just just send it to me with a self addressed stamped envelope, and I'll uh, I'll sign them, uh, inscribe them with you know with with something nice and personal and pertaining to your uh, favorite teams or players from the era oh, that, and I'll send great. them back to you. Oh, that'd be great. I'd super appreciate it. Well, I I Dan this has been uh wonderful and and I appreciate your your time giving me this hour tonight and and uh uh I I uh I know you're 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 crossing your fingers for the the Tigers and the Cubs coming up. Um always. So we'll we'll see what what happens with them and and uh uh, you know, here's here's the pr- spring training coming up and and uh, the opening day. So. Yes. Well, the, and that and that's something uh, everyone from all thirty tribes can can uh, can agree upon. It's uh, it's it, it'll be good to have baseball back. <laughs> Absolutely. Giants, 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 SF giants. Stay, so don't be late. It's TNT Park, Tom and Mark. G I 